you are listening to the Living Writers Show on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. I'm your host, Sarah Stedman, and what you are going to hear today on Living Writers is an interview that my co-host Molly did with Jennifer Babcock. Um, Jennifer is the author of C'est La Vie, which is a comic that is available online. You can read it at um, one of two websites. The first one is clv-comic.com. The other is ucomics.com. So um, feel free to call in if you want to talk about, you know, anything relating to books or, um, you know, swimming or shopping. And the phone number is 734-763-3500. Here's the interview. <laughs> you are listening to WCBN 88.3 FM Ann Arbor. I'm here with Jennifer Babcock, author of Say Levy, a comic that's available at ucomics.com as well as on her website. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine. How are you? Pretty good. That's good. Um, how did you get started doing comics? Well, I started drawing comics when I was in high school. Uh, I had a. I used to do them in the margins of my notebook, and then one day I decided to draw full-page uh, comics for myself and for my friends. I suppose the catalyst was this breakup I had with somebody, and it was really the best way for me to deal with it because the comic was about a breakup, and that was actually the beginning of C'est La Vie. Um, why did you choose to specifically do comics? It seems like most girls who get into bad breakups write bad poetry instead of really good comics. Well, <laughs> I recognized <laughs> that my poetry was really bad, <laughs> so I wasn't going to go there. But um, I knew my comics were good, and I'm much better at writing humor than, than being authentically depressing, so <laughs> I decided to go that route. What other comic artists are you inspired or informed by, or do you think inform the work in some way? Um, well, I'm inspired uh, a lot by Edward Gorey, who um, wrote all those really depressing short stories, like the Gasher from Tinies. And uh, I'm also influenced, I, I hope, by <laughs> Tim Burton and mainly his art style. And I also like Yonan Vasquez's humor a bit. I don't usually use it, but I do appreciate it. And I think once in a while I do try to touch upon that. But my style is most influenced by uh, Disney animated features from the early 90s, mid-90s. So, um, What do you think, how do you think you came up with the idea to combine the sort of humor that you're interested in, which is slightly morbid, um, perhaps, with that sort of artwork, which is usually associated with, you know, very happy sort of... Mm. I think it was kind of an accident. Uh, I just really have trained myself to draw in that way because I had wanted to be a character animator for Disney so much when I was growing up. And that's really... Oh, I, I shouldn't say it's the only way I know how to draw, but it, it's the most comfortable style that I use. So I just kind of meshed that with my humor, and it ended up, I mean, it ends up working together. It's kind of an unusual blend, so I guess I got lucky there. 
you were also doing this comic um, while you were in school for the newspaper um, at your university, and I noticed that the um, or the style of artistry is a little bit different. Your drawing style is different. Can you talk maybe a little bit about how that changed or why? Um, well, when I was drawing for UCLA uh, for the Daily Bruin, I don't really know if it's because my style necessarily changed. I mean, there are, I guess there are some differences in at least how I color, but that that mainly has to do with um, me being kind of cheap and lazy and only wanting to use Sharpies and ballpoint pens. um, The style itself uh, hasn't really changed much. I think it's more that my artwork has gotten better after just drawing every day for years um between the time between us between me drawing the comic in high school and me starting to draw for uh the newspaper at ucla there was about a one-year gap where i didn't really draw at all and so um you know when you don't practice your artwork it starts to become lacking but once you start doing it every day it starts to improve drastically and I think that's the difference you're primarily seeing. How do you see your work fitting into um, sort of comic book media in general? Well could you elaborate? um, Do you see it as more of like a mainstream newspaper comic or something that might come out in sort of a book format someday or? I see it as something that could possibly go mainstream if people are open-minded enough to let it become mainstream. I mean, I think in general it is a very mainstream type uh, uh, feature, but for something like a newspaper where everything is much more conservative, um, you know, it is a little bit edgier. I just hope that newspaper editors can see a little bit beyond their scope and let comics like mine filter into the newspaper. But um, as for a graphic novel, I don't know if I could ever turn Say La Vie into a novel format, but that might just be because I'm lazy and graphic novels require so much work. But I'll have to, I mean, I would consider doing that. One of the things that really sets your work apart from a lot of the things that we might see in the daily newspaper wherever we are is the main character not only being female but not really being particularly hapless. It's more the secondary characters and the fact that she's foreign, also some of the humor. Can you talk a little bit about um, how you put these characters together, um, maybe what they're based on? Okay, well, Mona, the main character, is this very the, the bitter, morbid, sarcastic French girl. And I put her in as my main character because I, I find her, I don't know, she really, I feel, drives the comic. I mean, originally she wasn't the main character, but I find it more interesting when we focus on her. Um, originally, Donna Fitzpatrick, her roommate, was the main character of the comic, who, as you know, is this really ditzy, uh, kind of an airhead, but who, who's managed to find success somehow in the corporate world. <laughs> but she's really, uh, she's really there to kind of counterbalance Mona in a way and to see how their personalities clash. I think it kind of, uh, it, it, it 
creates this un, this unusual dynamic between the two. Some pretty funny situations come up because of it. And then we have uh, Mosia Smokey, who is Mona's stuffed bunny, who, I don't know, he has a very perverse sense of humor, which is akin to her brother Pierre. And, um, but he is, he is like Mona's guiding light in a way. I think Mona, Mona's bunny, Muncie Smokey and Pierre share a lot of qualities together with each other, but, uh, one is, <laughs> one is more tangible, obviously, to other people. I don't know how many people can relate to Stuffed Rabbit, but people seem to <laughs> like him. Um, but, that's how the basic relationships work between the main characters. And there's Lucas, who I don't, I think he himself isn't as funny as the situations I put him in. Um, he He's a more passive character, but I'm sure as the comic develops and he becomes, he comes to the forefront of, of like all of the subjects. Later, he'll begin to develop his own sense of humor. But I like to put these different kinds of humor in to try to appeal to everybody as much as I can, but also because I just think it's interesting to see how these um, sense of humors clash with each other. Um, One of the fun things that I like a lot about reading C'est La Vie is that it sort of covers a whole range of different relationships. You have dating relationships of different kinds, friendships, um, sibling relationships, um, maybe Monsieur Smokey kind of fits in with siblings. <laughs> um, um, how do you get the inspiration for those sorts of um, interactions in your comic? Is it from real life, or is it just sort of what's funny or what seems right? Um, the relationships are definitely taken from a lot of what either my own experience or from what my friends tell me for some reason a lot of my friends come to me and they have their relationship problems which I wouldn't do if, if <laughs> I knew someone <laughs> was writing a comic about it <laughs> um, as for the sibling relationship that's completely fabricated I'm sure I must take some inspiration from um, my friends who have siblings, but I'm an only child, so it's just me kind of guessing what it what it would be like to have a brother or a sister. But like I said, I mean, uh, most of my friends, I, I've seen siblings battle it out in the living room before. <laughs> <laughs> so I have some idea what it's like. With Mona and Donna, you have sort of an opposites attract mm-hmm. friendship, and you also have the... Um, juxtaposition of Mona's sort of non-relationship with Lucas and Donna's sort of weird relationship slash marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your views on marriage and dating? It seems kind of dismal from what you put in your comic. Well, <laughs> I guess we're a little too young to really think about marriage. <laughs> marriage, I mean, I don't... Marriage is something that Surprisingly, this is going to shock some fans, if I am sure, that I would want to do someday. But I really feel like a lot of women, especially our age, which would be like 24, um, kind of rush into it. And I'm really right now commenting on that. I really feel that... uh, um, 
that people don't take it seriously enough and they're just too concerned with the wedding rather than the marriage, which is what we're seeing with Donna right now. I mean, I really believe that marriages can work. My parents are a testament to that. So I don't necessarily have a dismal view on it, but I guess skeptical would be a better word. And dating, um, dating is interesting. I've been in... I've never really dated a lot, but I have been in a few, like, uh, long-term relationships before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, lots of good times, <laughs> lots of bad times, <laughs> like anybody else's relationship. But I do think that a lot of the time it's really soured me a bit and made me kind of cynical. But I, of course, I'm not going to, I'm not the type that wouldn't, I would just stop dating people. <laughs> so, um, yeah. From this and other things as well, it seems that you may be influenced somewhat by feminism or post-feminism or woman-centered philosophy. How might that inform your work, if at all? And are you kind of trying to just give a message or just tell a story? I'm, I mean, primarily I'm trying to tell a story, um, but I'm also trying to tell a story um, from a woman's viewpoint, obviously, and that has to do with mainly because you don't really see newspaper comics discussed from a woman's perspective other than um, Kathy, maybe, or a handful of others. And my readers know that I'm not too fond of Kathy and how she portrays women. I mean, granted, Kathy is in the workforce and everything, but she's way too obsessed with shoes or going shopping and it kind of ignores this other this other type of woman that may not be obsessed with shopping or shoes or finding a husband or even necessarily finding a career but who's just being herself trying to survive in the big city I don't know (laughs) Um, that brings up another thing that we actually talked about last time we spoke a little bit which was um, what it's like to be a woman in the world of comics. Mm Because you said before that you were trying to maybe sell your comic to newspapers or other sort of media Uh outlets, but maybe there's not so much of a place for a female voice there. Do you feel that way? Um, I feel like there's definitely a place. I feel like um, a lot of the time we're not given the opportunity to... to, um, showcase our work and I don't know if that's I don't believe that's conscious but I think at least in newspapers they feel that that comics about single women um, would not be marketable because the newspaper like newspaper editors believe that it's geared towards families or men and that I have no idea if that's true I'm just going by their statistics, but even still, if they want to claim a new audience um, like they say they do, then I believe they should appeal to the single women in their early to mid-20s or whatever. I mean, it's just kind of sad how every female in the comics pages is pregnant or married. (laughs) Which obviously doesn't isn't very representative. Except for Sylvia the cat lady. Let's yeah. not forget the cat lady. Let's not forget the cat lady. <laughs> well, 
Well, <laughs> that's like a completely different issue. <laughs> um, yeah, they're just, you know, you should try to sell it as Mona, the pre-cat lady. Yeah, for exactly. This, for Sylvia to remember what she used to be like. Yeah. Um, obviously joking. <laughs> <laughs> How do you view comics in relation to other storytelling media? It's something you've chosen to do, but it doesn't necessarily get a lot of respect. Mm-hmm. I feel like comics are kind of put in a funny place. As a friend once told me, I had an argument about with him about comics and how valuable they are. And he was saying to me that he thought that comics were kind of like a poor attempt at, or someone who could not quite write a novel and someone who could not make a movie or animate something completely. And I don't know, there's something... There's something about a graphic novel or a comic that I feel is unique to them that you can't capture in either media, which I appreciate. There's something very poetic about this interplay between text and image um, that I that I like. So I think that's why I chose it. I mean, obviously, it's also because I I don't think I have the patience to write a novel. I feel that a lot of the times images are just uh, speak to me more clearly, but also I just don't have the means to do an animated um, show or movie or whatever. But even still, like I said, I really love the way that the text and the image kind of relate to each other on the page. You're listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. I'm here with Jennifer Babcock, author of Say La Vie. You can see it at ucomics.com. You are studying um, art history right now in graduate school, and I was wondering how that, uh, how your studies um, or the outlooks of the people that you work with have influenced the storyline or characters, as Mona is an art critic, mm-hmm. um, and also maybe how it's made, if it's made you think about comics in a different way. Okay. Well, in terms of the act of my actual comic, uh, we see um, references to art history kind of peppered throughout the storyline. Um, there's one comic where you see Lucas and he has subscriptions to art journals like Art News and, and Art Forum and things like that. And we have Mona talking about uh, what it's like to be an art critic and how she feels kind of like a... Um, I don't know, a fake, because she has to make up all this BS about how she feels about these paintings. And we also see her daydreaming about what it'd be like to be an art historian, yet also respected for being someone who's important. (laughs) Um, As to, to the medium in general, People at my grad school typically are a bit old-fashioned and would not consider comic art to be um, something worth studying, as at least as a high art. They, I think they feel that it's kind of like a half art. That's just the impression I get. I'm sure not everyone at my school feels that way, but um, I don't know. Um, with there's been a lot of attention given to comics lately by art historians, uh, and I think in Art News they had an article called "Why Has There or Why Has There Never Been Any Great Female Comic Artists," which is in reference to Linda Nochlin's article "Why Have There Not Been Any Great Female Artists." And um, so I feel 
I think that um, comics are giving are getting much more attention, which, of course, has interested me and made me reconsider my field because I'm an Egyptologist right now, and I'm thinking, well, if people are being so serious about comic art, maybe I should try to write some scholarly work on it. Um, And they they also had a couple of exhibits in Los Angeles on comic art. But uh, I don't know. It's made me really reconsider how important comics are to our society and to society in general. I mean, people in Japan have already recognized this importance, but um, I lost my train of thought. (laughs) (laughs) You know, comic art is important. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a valuable subject worth studying, I think. I mean, you mentioned the article about no great female artists, no great mm-hmm. female comic artists. Do you think that that is actually because there maybe hasn't been one, that women haven't been doing it because they haven't been interested or really there hasn't been enough time to sort of cultivate the viewpoint or because maybe critics and, and people in general aren't as receptive to it and so what maybe there's women out there doing fantastic comments or comics or have been doing fantastic art but people aren't going to give it the credit it deserves? Um, I'm, sh- I'm sure there's been plenty of female comic artists that would even be considered great um, that critics just don't pay attention to for whatever reason. I mean, I I understand that female comic artists are quite rare. It's a very male-dominated field. I feel that way all the time whenever I sit down at a dinner or barbecue or whatever with other cartoonists. I'm usually the only female, but uh, I know there have been some really wonderful stuff by by women and I believe in that article why have there not been any great female comic artists the author does list quite a few female artists and in fact the article was kind of an attack on the two exhibitions that were in Los Angeles or it was actually one but it was held in two museums called Masters of American Comics held at the UCLA Hammer Museum in LA MOCA because in both museums, there was not a single female comic artist represented, represented, and uh, which is a little bit problematic if you're mm-hmm. going to be calling the show Masters of American Comics and there's no female mm-hmm. shown up there. So, I mean, but I'm sure they exist, but they just haven't been recognized, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure why. So it's an interesting question of whenever I see an exhibit that's Masters of X, mm-hmm. there's like the one woman that maybe wasn't as famous. I always wonder, did they put her in because I thought she was just as good and didn't get credit or because she's the token female? Mm-hmm. It always brings up a lot of issues, but you know, hopefully you can maybe change some of that. Yeah. Um, have you gotten any support or advice from other comic artists that you met or do you know even have any mentors, so to speak? Well, I've talked, I don't have any, um, like a staple of, or, no, I shouldn't say that. I do have a circle of comic artists who are either well-known or not as well-known, who who do support me, and they're almost always male. In fact, I think they all are male, <laughs> but um, they appreciate what I'm doing, and, you know, they range from other webcomic artists to people who are syndicated. Probably one of the things I remember, 
what touched me the most, I think, was when I was talking to Aaron McGruder, who writes the Boondocks, and he told me not to ever give up. And he said he really attributed to um, the lack of attention I was getting at the time because of my age. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, there really needs to be a comic by a young woman like you. And he said, just don't give up and keep doing it. And, you know, we reminisced about how hard it is to draw comics in general. You know, mm-hmm. basically trade talk, I guess. But, yeah, there, there, I have been getting a lot of support from people and my family, too, of course. So. You're listening to Living Writers on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. This interview is with Jennifer Babcock, who writes a comic called C'est La Vie that you can read at ucomics.com. Good to hear. It seems like he too might have been, I mean, he might have been in a somewhat similar position where maybe it was not thought that the audience that he would appeal to would be one that would be reached by comics or would get a newspaper. Yeah, um, I'm sure. More circulation, and it's turned out quite the opposite. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you sort of, I guess this is sort of a switch-in focus, but um, how do you plan the sense of humor in your work? Does it relate to your personal sense of humor, or is it something that specific characters have maybe specific situations? It's a little of both, I suppose. Uh, let me let me try to interpret this question as best as I can. Um, each character has their own sense of humor, and they represent different parts of my own sense of humor. Um, and I'm and I'm very careful not to mix the senses of humor up with the characters. So you would rarely see Donna having a morbid sense of humor, and if she does, that's part of the joke because. She's normally normally so silly and upbeat, um, and I suppose that's that's how I do it. Who do you think your audience is at the moment? You've said that you really want your comic to reach as many people as possible and try to appeal to as many people as possible. But right now you're just on the internet, mm-hmm. um, so people kind of have to go find you or be led to you. So do you know? Do you have any idea who exactly what sort of person or? Well, according to you, comics, <laughs> my comic appeals to um, a general audience between the ages of 18 and 35. Ooh, that's like the number one audience to have, right? Um, no? I, I, I'm not really sure. I mean, I know ideally it's just supposed to, you're supposed to be under the category of mass appeal, mm-hmm. which... So, and mine is pretty narrow compared mm-hmm. to everybody else's. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's supposedly the, the um, what's the word for it? The shoot. The, yeah, thank you. It's supposedly, <laughs> the, de- <laughs> it's supposedly the demographic that they're shooting for right now, mm-hmm. so, which is good for me. Um, that sounds about right. Uh, I, I believe that most of my readers are between the ages of 18 to 35, though I, I know I do have readers that are older and sometimes younger. And I'm, I get the feeling, I'm not sure who reads my comic more, men or women. Um, yeah, I get a lot more ma- male from males. <laughs> 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 and, 
but I know that there must, I know there's a, a huge female appeal to this. I mean, since the comic really is about relationships. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard to say, but age-wise, 18 to 35, I guess. <laughs> what sort of responses do you get, if you don't mind sort of sharing? Oh, the well, male? people respond. Well, male or female, how people, if there's any you know specific responses you've gotten that you found interesting or important. Uh, well, it's all been positive and it's touching. I don't get hate mail anymore. Anymore? <laughs> anymore. I used to get hate mail once in a while when I first started out because this is when I was on uh, this other site that was that's part of UCOM. It's called Comic Sherpa where they mm-hmm. they test everybody's comic out and make sure that it's good and if it's, they feel like it's good enough and mm-hmm. strong enough, they move you on to UComics. Um, I think at first I was really shocking to people and they were offended and that's when I got some of my hate mail and then when I was at UCLA I would purposely go out and offend people <laughs> and I get hate mail then that's what you're supposed to do when you write for a university newspaper yeah but I feel now that because I have my own website I mean people aren't going to visit my website or visit the Comic site unless they really like it mm-hmm. so I don't really get hate mail anymore um I get some, sometimes I get very inspiring email. I got one from a teacher saying that he used my comic to teach his students English and teach his students American humor to show that we are mm-hmm. very sarcastic and that we don't mean to offend. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, somebody will tell me, oh, I'm going through this really rough time right now for whatever reason, and they say your comic just brightens up my day it's like what I wake up for and that that's always really inspiring to me because no matter how frustrating it will get um I know that as long as it's touching somebody that I, <laughs> I should keep doing it <laughs> I had a wonderful moment actually what, three or four days ago when there was that comic where Mona came home upset and she had gin and tonic <laughs> I was visiting friends and she came home upset and I got her gin and tonic and then I you know looked up the comic and it's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's pretty realistic. They're pretty good drinks, though. It is a good drink. My roommate gives it to me whenever I'm stressed <laughs> out, actually. You shouldn't drink until you're 21 if you're listening. Yes. <laughs> so you talked a little bit about, um, you know, alienating people intentionally or unintentionally with your work. Um, so there's a bunch of actually jokes in there that could be a little bit offensive, especially about goths mm-hmm. um, art historians. Mm-hmm. And those seem like also people that might really like your comic. Do you think that do you worry about, you know, offending anyone or is it just, you know? I don't because I figure anyone that I'm interested in having as a reader should not be easily offended. <laughs> <laughs> and should be able to take a joke. They don't like you, you don't like me. <laughs> Well, I mean, I I respect people who may find something offensive, but I can't bend backwards and not offend anybody because I think part of what makes something interesting is that it's, like, slightly offensive to somebody. Um, Non-offensive humor for me isn't nearly as entertaining as offending someone, I guess. But I do a very good job to show that, to try to show that I'm not, you know, overly 
mean about it and that I'm obviously joking. I know quite a few goths who I talk to sometimes. <laughs> like not, uh, we don't have a deep relationship, but it's very casual. And a deep, meaningful, dark, <laughs> horribly beautiful relationship. <laughs> I'm making fun of goths. <laughs> No, it's you know it's just very casual, but you know nothing, nothing like I used to write. Like when I used to make fun of the Greek system at UCLA, it was nothing like it's nothing like that. So I think most people are probably okay with it. The main character of your comic, Mona, is uh, French. I guess she's lived here for a while, but. Mm-hmm. is um, a foreigner. Do you think that that's maybe an issue in your comic, or is why did you even decide to make her foreign? Um, do you think that that gives her sort of a, a different view as a character and a, and a different range of things she can say that maybe wouldn't be acceptable from, say, Donna? Not that you know, she would have that humor at all. Um, well, I, we talked about this before a little, and I had said that it was kind of an accident that she ended up French, and that's completely true. Um for some reason when I was naming her I came up with a French name and it just kind of stuck and I thought it would be funny at the time if I gave her a French accent and because I really love the way um, um, Parisians kind of stereotypically are like these really bitter people Mm -hmm. I thought it fit with her character quite well Mm -hmm. and before her her foreignness wasn't really an issue and it still doesn't play too major of a role in the comic, but once in a while it does come up. Uh, she talks about how people treat her differently, mm-hmm. and there's one comic where in in context of, you know, how the French were treated or talked about or thought of after 9-11 where she thinks it's unfair because, you know, she does everything that an American citizen does, so why should she be attacked just for her accent or where she's from? when she's acting like an American now. But, yeah, I definitely touch upon, like, the kind of prejudice, prejudices that exist for the French in America. <laughs> I guess um, something of what I was getting at that I thought of while you were speaking, maybe I can put it a little bit better, is do you think it sort of gives her an authenticity as an outsider to be a foreigner, even if you didn't plan it in the beginning, or is it just for fun? No, it does. I mean, I think it really isolates her from from her, you know, this L.A. context, especially since there aren't too many French people in Los Angeles. It would be maybe different if the comic was set in New York, where there actually is a pretty large French population. But, um, no, I, I... Unintentionally, it's become that way. And how do you plan your storylines out? Is it way ahead of time? Do you sort of have a Bible, like a soap opera? Or it, there are some goals that I I have, or milestones in the comic that I have kind of vaguely sketched out in my head. Um, like I know exactly how the last, the very last comic I do is going to be set up. But the events that between now and then are very loosely organized and thought of, and sometimes they, it completely changes depending on how the characters have developed and depending on how the situations have come about. 
and a lot of the times the characters in the storyline just completely take hold of whatever I may have planned for them and write themselves. You're listening to WCBN 88.3 FM Ann Arbor. I'm here with Jennifer Babcock, author of Say La Vie. You can check it out at www.clv-comic.com. Your comic is currently just published on the Internet. Do you think that that has affected the way you put it together or the way you plan storylines at all? A little bit, because I think if I was doing it for print, as in if it was published in newspapers, I'd be more careful not to put the any of the daily storylines into the Sundays. And I have been doing that, but once in a while, something from... Um, the daily storyline will kind of creep into a Sunday comic, which I get the feeling you shouldn't really be doing in a print comic because the Sunday comic is kind of seen as something separate mm-hmm. from, you know, the daily stuff. But when it's online and you have the archive in front of you, you don't have to pay attention to that so much. Mm-hmm. And I also feel that because my comic is online, I'm able to draw storylines out longer. I feel... I, I feel that when you do something in print and people aren't able to read back the archive, you're supposed to kind of cut storylines maybe only to a week or two. Mm -hmm. I I can't think of an equivalent, but, um, yeah, because sometimes my storylines can last for a month or longer, Mm -hmm. and print comics usually only last like a week. So you're currently in grad school. Do you have the summer off, or do you have work to do right now? I have the summer off. I'm back in Los Angeles. I <laughs> will probably be working retail. <laughs> no, but, I, you know, I applied for some museum jobs, and uh, I'm going to be traveling sometime in July or August. So I'll be pretty busy. How do you balance your schoolwork and working on the comic? Because you have to have one every day. It seems like a lot of work to me. And then I know that grad school can be completely overwhelming. Do you do get a lot of the work done during the summer or just take a break every once in a while? Um, well, I try to build up my my archive during the summer. My goal is to be a couple of months ahead instead of like a few weeks ahead. Uh by the time the summer ends, because next year is going to be a lot harder than this year has been. Mm-hmm. Uh, but during the usually, what I do during the school year is I'll go to I'll, I'll go to the I'll go to class at the library or whatever at 10 a.m. and I stay till 7 p.m. and then when I get home, I'll eat dinner and then I'll work on my comic mm-hmm. and then maybe do some more work. I mean, it's pretty hard. I usually stay up till 2 or 3, and um, but that's basically how I've been doing it, and it's been working so far. If I have a free weekend, I'll try to draw more than than one a day. So cause sometimes, obviously, you're bound to, like, not be able to do one mm-hmm. when finals week comes along. Yeah. Do you have any other projects you're working on? Do you even have time for those? Or do you have any other projects you'd like to get started? Yeah, I have several um, several little books that I would like to see come to... Um, that I would like to actually sit 
can and draw and write, and I have different concepts running through my brain, and I've been drawing concepts for those, but it's just been a matter of time, and I haven't really had time to develop them fully, uh, but hopefully maybe this summer I can do that. Okay, I've been here with Jennifer Babcock, author of C'est La Vie. You can um, learn more at wcbn.org, our website, or you can go to www.clv-comic.com to check out her work. Thanks for talking to us today. Thank you. So that's the end of the interview portion of Living Writers today. And um, the rest will be a little bit of music, about 20 minutes of music before Free Speech Radio News. Um, I will be sitting here reading, of course. And the book that I am almost finished with is called Honey Baby Sweetheart, and it's by Deb Coletti. And um, I believe that next week you will be um, hearing the interview that Molly and I recorded with Deb Coletti. And, you know, this is just your, your chance to read her books in advance. They're called The Queen of Everything, Honey Baby Sweetheart, and the most recent is called Wild Roses. I have yet to read Wild Roses, um, but it's on my, my stack at home that, you know, keeps growing exponentially and just not getting, you know, not diminishing at all. But I feel like that's how it always is with books. Um, so some some sneak peeks are, you know, what we're going to start out with in terms of music. Um, first, you'll hear a brand new Jib Kidder song that um, is on a CD that is called, I think, Bulletproof Napkin. And it will be released on Captain Bass Records. It's the second um, CD to be released on Captain Bass, the first of which is by Martes Martes. Um, and then after Jib Kidder, you will hear a song from the new Parenthetical Girls album, which is called Safe as Houses. And just became available within the last 24 hours on um, the website of the Slender Means Society. Um, so, you know, check them out. And you can call if you want. The phone number is 734-763-3500.
That was the Sweat Boys Adonis with Do You Want to Percolate? Um, off of the Soul Jazz Acid House compilation, Can You Jack? Um, before that, Parenthetical Girls with O oh Daughter Disaster from the newly available follow-up to the album Girls, which is called Safe as Houses. Um, check it out on the Slender Means Society website. And before that was a brand new song from Jib Kidder, um, a song I have yet to learn the title of. This next song is um, Brother D with Collective Effort, How We Gonna Make the Black Nation Rise, and it will lead us into Free Speech Radio News. Wanna know the truth and that's a fact. Let me hear you say, and you know that. And you know that. You dippy dippy guys are so socialized, but how we gonna make a black nation rise? While you party down, young shock the house, get down, rock shock the house. The two was planning on the loop, training their kids in machine gun use. Okay, everything has its place and time. We can rock the house too as we shock your mind. Up, we can brag and we can boast. Neither bread nor butter for our breakfast toast. Look at all the things that can prove the point. Sisters in the desert, brothers in the joint. As you dip it, dip it, guys, we're so socialized. How we gonna make the black nation ride? How we gonna make the black nation ride? The people call me Brother D, and I'm here to shed some light. To bring the truth right on down to earth from where I once was out of sight. But before I continue, just let me say, this is not my ego suit. I sat down and thought, and I wrote this verse in the interest of the group. Come on, my people. Can't you see what's really going on? Unemployment's high. The house is bad and the schools are teaching wrong. Can't you find the water? Pollution in the air, but you're partying hard like you just don't care. Wake up, y'all. You know that ain't right. Because that hurts everybody, black or white. You're moving to the rhythm, but you're wasting time. Stop and think, do you know what's real? Well, let me educate you to the real deal. The media is telling lies, the devil taking off his disguise. They're killing us in the street while we pay more for food that's cheap. And all you want to do is so socialize. How you gonna make that nation? Remember the so-called Indian? Look what they did to him. Maybe they'll do that to us. They're the struggle, they're the win. I mean, damn. Get out of your seat. Damn. Get on your feet. We say damn and I will repeat. We mean damn. We're tired of defeat. Damn. No more sitting around. We say damn. It's time for throwing down. Damn. Let's even the score. Plus we're fired up. It won't take no more. We're fired up. It won't take no more. We're fired up. It won't take no more. Well, if you 
Wednesday, June 14, 2006, this is Free Speech Radio News. From KPFK in L.A., I'm Aura Bogado. Just weeks after the brutal use of force at Atenco, police in Oaxaca, Mexico, cracked down on the local population. The House of Representatives is preparing for a full day of debate on the war on Iraq. And a panel of judges hears arguments for and against allowing the Livermore Lab to test advanced biological weapons. We'll bring you these stories and more, but first, the headlines. I'm Shannon Young with the Free Speech Radio News headlines. The militias of the Islamic Court Alliance, who recently seized the Somali capital Mogadishu, capture the town of Johar, the remaining stronghold of the militias of the Secular Anti-Terrorism Alliance. Joshua Chalimba reports. The town of Johar felt the militia wrote the Union of Islamic Courts without much resistance after warlords widely reported to have been backed by the U.S., fled north towards the Elbul in the central Somali region of Galgud. One person was reportedly killed during the fighting. The defeated warlords 